Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. This is Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I'm here with Kelly Erickson. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. Yep. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Sure. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, we were talking before the recording started, and we thought, man, let's just start from the beginning and, and see where it goes. Yeah, um, I am... Uh, I am married. I have six kids. Um, I've been married actually quite a long time. I got married pretty young. Um, I grew up in, actually grew up in Durham, North Carolina. My dad graduated from BYU and then we went out to Durham to go for him to go to Duke University. And then we ended up staying there. And so I ended up doing most of high, uh, all of my, uh, school plus a semester of college. And then I moved back out to Utah. And met my husband, got married really young. And um, so this is like the really quick tour, right? Really fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were married like six years and we really wanted to have kids and that it took a long time for that to happen. And we finally got pregnant with some help from the doctor and we had twins. So we had boys, boy twins. And after that happened, we had a, a good gap and we had another one. And then we had twins again. So actually, I have two oh sets gosh. of twins. And then I have my little surprise caboose baby on the end that's now, she's getting ready to turn 10. So my oldest two, one of them just got married this year. And the other one is on a mission. He's serving in Santiago, Chile right now. Oh, uh, congratulations. A really fast tour. So then we like lived, um, went to the University of Utah. And then um, we went out to Atlanta, Georgia. And mm -hmm. we lived in Las Vegas for about seven years, Reno, Nevada for two, and then in Utah for the last 10. So there you go. There's like the really fast. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Okay. So talk to me. It sounds like you, you started growing up in Utah, right? Before your dad oh. went to Duke. Yeah. How was that? Uh, wh how old were you when you moved? I was seven. And it's funny, we lived, uh, my dad, since he was going to BYU, were like the epitome of the poor student family. Okay. And we lived um, on the married student housing at BYU. Now, across the street from the stadium, there used to be a rodeo on the corner where all of the, um, like, there's like shopping centers there now, but it okay. was a rodeo. I remember, because I remember going and playing in it when I was like five. And then um, we lived in the married housing, which was trailers. So we had a little trailer uh, there. Now they got like the big, you know, apartment complexes because trailers are not really that practical for that many people. But sure. Yeah. So we just, you know, it's idyllic, you know, BYU, everything, BYU. And I'm such a disappointment to my parents because I ended up going to the <laughs> University of Utah. <laughs> so, They'll never forgive you ever. Grandma's just like, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, so. so you grow up in a very fiscally conservative household. Uh, Not fiscally conservative. They're just poor. You're fiscally poor. conservative when you have no money. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. Forced to be fiscally conservative. Yeah. Okay. So we, we ended up going out to North Carolina. I remember we, we there were three, uh, I'm, I have two other sisters at the time, and one's two years older than me, and one's two years younger than me. And my parents had this hatchback, little blue hatchback. 
and they drove it. We drove across the country. It took us like two weeks because they wanted to see all the things. And just like, imagine this like tiny little car and there's like three of us and we'd have to rotate into the trunk. This is before you wore seatbelts or had, you know, anything back in the day. And that we'd like camp out on the side of the road and, you know, just stuff like that. It was like, like seriously, they were so poor. So now, um, yeah, that was, that was interesting. As a young girl, did you sense that at all though? That we were poor? Yeah. Oh yeah. You knew I it. Mean, poor, but it's, but it was okay. Cause everybody yeah. around us was poor also. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't have anything and the next person had a boat. No, sure, I didn't sure. know. I didn't know anybody like that. I didn't know people who had houseboats and cabins and, that didn't exist in, in my world. We're just okay. in Portland. So it was okay. It was, I think it's, it's a good um, grounding. Yeah. Cause I think kids, you know, can forget, like I was just at the soccer game last night and my daughter was complaining because she doesn't like churros. She wants something else. And I said, do you hear yourself? Do you hear how bad you're being? You gotta stop. <laughs> stop. I would have oh, been happy. No. When I was a kid, I'm like, are you kidding? A churro? Right. Yeah. So, right. Like sugar and cinnamon on bread? Are you kidding? I know. I know. You can buy that? Yeah. So I think, it's, I think that type of starting out that way is it's really good because you, I don't think that ever leaves you. Um, yeah. Having, not having things. Yeah. It's with you. Yeah. Okay. Then when you're seven, you move across the country yeah. and you have a, I'm going to say fantastic two week camping trip. I guess. <laughs> Let's say memorable. Memorable. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. Keep keep me honest now when I'm describing your life back to you. Uh, Make sure yeah. that I'm doing it right. <laughs> yeah. You go to Duke. Now, were you old enough? I mean, it seems like that could be a pretty big culture shock to go from Provo. I mean, not just Provo, but BYU campus. Yeah. To now Duke. Talk to me about that. I, I don't I don't think so. Um we it's it's there was like um the steak at the time was really big it, it was the raleigh steak i think and it was like all of raleigh and durham i think right after we moved there they ended up splitting the steak but um durham we had our own little building it used to be like a no they sold the building after i was baptized there it's in like this it's really close to duke university in like this historic area and now it's like they get jewish synagogue or whatever but um you know your ward is just really big it's like the equivalent yeah. of you know the entire salt lake valley is your ward boundary you know so everything's right. just spread out and I, you know you just it's the reality you're in when you're seven so seven eight years old so we um you know my high school I, I always tell my kids i'm like or i was actually just telling this in seven in, in my gospel doctrine class i'm like you know we all have challenges in our lives, some people have challenges like where they're in a fiery plane crash and, you know, they get burned or, you, you know, you have, chemo, you know, you get leukemia or something. And I'm realizing now after looking back on my life that my challenge was um, loneliness. It was hard. It was a hard 12 years of my life because um, I have always, always had a testimony of like, I've always known that it's true. I think that's, I think that's a spiritual gift for me is I've never wondered or really doubted. I mean, you have doubts, but not like poor doubts. Like I've always known that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the restored gospel. I've had a very strong testimony of that. Um, however, when you believe that and you believe that to your core, 
even as a young child. And then you're thrown into um, a sea of Baptists where you're the only member of the church. I was in, when I was in my high school, I was the only active member in my high school. Um, my, I, there was some other, a few other people that went like one of my siblings, she, she kind of struggled at the time. Um, but I was the only one that was really active. I think, I mean, she was kind of, maybe maybe not fair to say she was pretty active, but, um, and there was like one other girl and that was it. So my high school and I didn't, I had a, a lot of, I was friendly with a lot of people, but I really didn't have any friends. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because. They knew that I was um, a Latter-day Saint and I was very vocal about my beliefs and things like not drinking alcohol and things like that. Or if it was because I was just obnoxious, because I could be obnoxious too. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> not saying it's, I, I you know, I, I have my growing pains. Um, so I'm not sure, but I didn't get invited to things. I mean, thank goodness I didn't have social media back then. That would have been, it probably would have been absolutely devastating not knowing about the party and not knowing about the things. I mean, you know, like kind of, but not knowing I'm excluded from things was, I think it was a real blessing. I think that the Lord really blessed me also with um, naivete mm -hmm. that I just didn't understand a lot of things that were happening around me. And I know that that was a blessing and that was Heavenly Father protecting me from things. Um, so I could get out of there clean, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but yeah, it was a, it was a hard time and it wasn't just like, I was the only active member in my high school. There were no kids my age in young women's. There was a few older, there were several younger. They all went to different high schools. I was the only active member in my state that was my age. It was, oh my it was hard. It was really hard. I mean, we, um, and I didn't get to go to, um, uh, girls camps ever because I did sports and, you know, feeling the pressure of like that, that was more important, even though I, I, it, that's, it's not, you guys, it's not, it's not more important. Camp is more important. Um, so it was just, I didn't have those opportunities to make friends. I mean, not really. So it was really hard. So I just couldn't wait. I could not wait to get out of there. It's not like North Carolina was like a, a bad thing. There were like lots, there were good, good things for me and good growing moments. It's not a bad place at all. It's just for me personally, it was, it was very difficult. And I just had this very deep, deep desire to be back with people that I don't have to explain myself. And then they, they understand who I am, but it just gave me this like incredible, um, it's like such a gift now. I mean, it was right. really hard, um, but it gave me um, a really good perspective on being very conscious of people around me and people that are excluded or don't have friends or are locked out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like in the first part of your life, you have two very shaping, I won't necessarily call them experiences, but chapters. You have two very shaping chapters where you say when you were a very young girl, you're very poor and that shaped you, that helped you and strengthened you. Now you move to Duke and you struggle with being uh, with just feeling alone and that shapes you and builds yeah. you. Yeah. Probably through neither one of these experiences beforehand, you would choose and say, Hey, I want to go spend 10 years, 12 years feeling super lonely and just <laughs> kind of being an Island. That sounds like a fantastic growing opportunity for me. Yeah, it was a, it was a really 
I, I, it was a really stressful time um, in my life. Uh, the other element of that is my, my parents fought a lot. It was very, very contentious in my home. I mean, they, they fought almost every day I lived there and, they, and it would be, it would be kind of brutal. So I didn't, I mean, you're talking like 10 years of not really having um, a lot of safe spaces, if you will. So yeah, it was, it was hard, but seriously, like coming out of that and when I was able to finally move, I don't think I thought a second about where I came from. I was like, just so happy to be rid of it um, that I moved to Utah and I could just like start my life. I just like, this is when I was like, it was like a rebirth, really. I mean, you just, you start over, but in all of those things and all of those experiences through um, contentious home life and uh, lonely uh, school time, uh, the thing that always kept me kept me grounded was always knowing that I was a child of God. Like, just I always knew who I was. I, that never ever left me. So even. I'm going to give my parents credit, even with all the contention at the house, they were able for me personally, be able to teach me that truth, or I got enough of it at church that I could know that that was true. That could like, um, really help me get through that difficult period in my life. So, you know, I, I think that it was, it it was the path I was meant to walk. Mm -hmm. I don't mean if I could change it, I, I haven't even thought of that. I'm not even sure that I would because Mm -hmm. it's helped to shape me into the person that I am today. And it's shaping me. I mean, I, I'm having, I'm having new life experiences, but that's like at the core, right? I don't, things in your childhood, they don't, it's hard to get rid of those. They don't really go. So. Kelly, you answered the question before I asked it, but your answer was so good. I'm going to ask the question again, and I'd love for you to answer it. What helped you get through those 10 years? Yeah. Tough, tough family life, tough high school life, uh, tough church experience. Not that the church was negative, but it just, you didn't have a great support group there. No, I, I really didn't. How um, do you survive that? Yeah. And it's not like my house, we were doing family prayer every day. We weren't. I think we we're doing quarterly prayer. We probably did sure. family every once every three or four months, maybe. Um, I I just think, I really think that what got me through it was being naive. Right. Okay. <laughs> like it can thing. be a gift. It, I think it was a gift. I really believe that it was a gift. That is a God. God blesses us with that. I don't think that that's a negative thing. Um, but seriously, those, those points in my life, being in Sunday school, being in young women's at certain times with certain leaders, certain talks that were given, feeling the, the presence of the Holy Ghost, not recognizing it necessarily then, but you know, there was some critical time, like meetings that I went to. Um, you know, like we had like a youth conference one time. And I remember it was in Burlington, North Carolina. And we it was a good youth conference, it was like a three-day thing. And it was really interesting. We had this testimony meeting. Um I I am still touched by it. Isn't that funny how that works? Um and I, I don't know, I was like 16 or 17 years old and um, somebody got up and they bore their testimony and they got out the hymn book. And that, and that I have to mention that music is really important to me. And it is the one thing I think that has really helped to build my testimony is music. Music was very powerful. 
And he got up and he took up the hymn book and he starts reading um, the lyrics to uh, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. And it just struck me like a lightning bolt. I, I really have to say that was like a turning point in my life is, is starting to see the state, like understanding who the savior was, because before that I had a testimony, but I don't think I really had a testimony of Jesus necessarily. Okay. I had a testimony of the church. It evolved to becoming this very deep abiding testimony of Jesus Christ. And I think that that was the beginning is hearing those lyrics in that meeting under the power of the priesthood. Um, with the Holy Ghost so pervasive uh, in that meeting that was very powerful for me. So it's just things like that. It's those like little moments where, honestly, if you just show up and you keep showing up, you get the thing that you need. I love that. I wish that could be crocheted on the top of every fireplace. If you just show up and you keep showing up, you get keep the thing that you need. Yeah. Wow. Um. Another thing that you said before is that you knew who you were wow. and that your parents were able to instill that in you for, yeah. for everything else that was going on. Your parents gave you that gift. Mm -hmm. They did. What did they do that helped you know who you were? I, I have I don't know. Took me to church. <laughs> okay. okay. Actually, you know, like there was a, my, my mom, I think when I was at home, my mom, had like clinical depression. Now that I look back on it, I think she was really sick. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would admit that, but you know, and I just didn't see her. I didn't really have a lot of interactions with her for like basically 10 years. I really didn't. And, and a lot of the interactions I had with her were negative, which is kind of sad, but it's just the truth, at least from my point of view. Um, but my dad at the time, it was funny. We had this, we had this like span of about, I think about six months where we would stay up late and he would order Domino's pizza. And I remember it'd be, be pepperoni and onion. Who orders pepperoni wow. and onion? I don't know. I see why you remember it. I know. Well, because it's onion. I mean, <laughs> yeah. onion, right? So he would order pepperoni pizza. And we would talk about like big ideas. We would have right. big idea conversations. And then he would get out the scriptures and he would show me things in the scriptures because he was a, he was a scriptorian. He really did start at the scriptures. He, he knew the scriptures and he would just, we would talk about big things, like big, big things. And while eating Domino's pizza at 11 o'clock at night, I mean, it was just like that, like those things that I remember that were just, I think for me, they're what I needed. They helped me get through. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Hey, I think you can get through a lot of stuff if you know that, you are loved unconditionally by your heavenly father and that you are a child of God. You can get through yes. a lot of stuff. Yes. So, okay. You move back to, you've, you've done 10 or 12 years there. You move back to Utah. How's that feel? It was great. It was so awesome. I go to my, I'm in a marriage, I'm in the singles ward and there's like all these people. And I'm like, this is amazing. And you go to the grocery store and you know, like people like, their LDS is like, yes, this is like, just felt so good. I yes. loved it. And it didn't take me long to meet, you know, my future husband. He just gotten off his mission. He went to Brazil and we just hit it off. And, you know, he's pretty much the only, he's, he's the, really the only person I've ever dated. He's the only person I ever kissed. 
there wasn't anybody to date in North Carolina. There, there really was nobody to date. So I did not oh, yeah. date. So, you know, it just felt right. And I, I remember praying about it and just getting like, and, and this doesn't happen very often in your life, but you get that, you start to pray and you get that overwhelming, like my heart is going to burst open. And I just like, you know, this is the right person. And now we've been married. So we got married in 1995. So it'd be 28 years this year. And, you know, the, the vicissitudes of marriage, I mean, it's real. Sometimes I can't <laughs> stand them. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, you know, like, why does he choose food that way or whatever? But, you yes. know, that, that kind of stuff. But then overall, it's just like, like I said, just what I said before, you just show up. Right. And, and you get through things and, and, and we have, and we, overall we've had a very happy and fulfilling marriage. So yeah, well, I just there in St. George and yeah, we got married and went up to the university of Utah. So congratulations yeah. on 28 years. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank That's you. Great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this is a, this is a common pattern that I like to point out is you go through this very rough spot in your life. And then you you come back, something changes, you you start a new chapter of your life and it's on a high and everything goes fantastic from there on out for the rest of your life, right? Like nothing bad ever happens again. Right. Yeah. Not true. Not true. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, you had some problems getting pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to get pregnant for like three or four years now, two or three years. I got, it was stressful. Um, so when we got pregnant with twins, it was like, what are you kidding me so we you know we did some fertility and yeah so we have a twins and and i was just so happy i i would just those kids like because we decided before we got married that i would stay home with them like mm -hmm. i kind of pursued i mean like i thought about you know I, I was like the brainy one in school and i school comes easy to me but it's not what i wanted I, if i was going to be a mom i was going to be a mom i was going to be all all in on that and okay. so they're born and i would just like i would just stare at them i would i mean i could literally I, and this is not a joke i could put them to, to, down for their nap and when they would wake up i could tell that they were different like they'd grown a little bit they got a little smarter a little bit more aware people are like you're crazy I'm like no no i <laughs> i know i would read to them every day i would bathe them every day i mean i did all the things i was just like i was just so happy and you know, before you know it, they, they're five years old because it's twins. Yes. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe I should try to have another one. So we did fertility again, but this time I had to do like, I had to do in vitro, which was, it was really hard um, with my, my third with Eli. He, I mean, that was like a lot. It was very involved. It was very painful. And what's funny is, is, I mean, his pregnancy from beginning to end was the middle. I mean, I'm, I'm being pregnant is easy, but the getting pregnant and then the birthing is not. And, but when he was born, he was just like the most adorable, like the sweetest baby. And he really is like the sweetest kid there. I mean, all my kids are really great, but I just remember it was because it was so hard. Yes. He was so easy, you know? Yeah. So anyways, but he's like eight or nine months. And so I have this feeling like I'm supposed to have another one. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing IVF again. There is no freaking way. You cannot make me. Uh-uh. Some other way. So I just, I, I like, I literally was having an argument with God. Like, seriously, like he's six months old and I'm counseling God. Like, I'm not doing it that way. Yeah. You know, it's just so funny because he was born in February. And I just remember so clearly in December, I finally get down my knees on my knees because I just had, the, had this feeling like I'm supposed to have another one. I'm supposed to have another one. Right. And I get down on my knees and I'm like, I 
um, okay. And finally, I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, fine. I'll do it. Fine. That's literally what I said to Heavenly Father. Like, fine. Yeah. I'll do it. Whatever. So I call the doctor that day. I get an appointment for like the next week. And then I'm pregnant with twins again. But what's amazing is the way, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, Heavenly Father is probably, probably laughing at me. Um, it's like, oh, Kelly, you're so silly. Um, but the, the second time around was so much easier than the first time. So except okay. for the fact when you find out you're having twins again, because, you know, you remember all the good stuff and you kind of just forget all the traumatic stuff about yeah, having yeah. kids. And, the, and this go around, I find out I'm having twins. And now my husband works out of town three days a week. He's not even home. And I'm going to have twins. Oh my gosh. Twins. And I have a one-year-old. It's just like, it's like a tsunami of like, Oh my gosh, I remember all the stuff middle of the night and oh wow, and diapers and managing, but somehow I, I got through it and I just, I just cannot stress how much like the church is such a blessing. It is so amazing. I mean, I'm living in Las Vegas. I don't have any family. I have no support. My family is my ward family. That is my family. And it's just so funny. I get a call from the Relief Society president. Her name was um, Sister Bollard. And she's like, Kelly, we want to come help you. And I'd already had somebody come. I was pregnant with them. And, and I had a one-year-old. And, and I had six-year-olds. And she's like, I want to come help you. We want, we want to come help you as Relief Society. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. I just, you know, my house is a mess. It's like, whatever. I can live in a mess. It's fine that's for another season of life. Right. It's like, <laughs> yes. I see nothing. I see nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm like, no, no. And she keeps me on the phone. I'm not even kidding you for like 30 minutes. She would not let me say no. And I'm like, fine, sister Ballard, whatever you want to do, you just do it. And so every day, I'm not kidding you. Somebody came to my house and I knew everybody in this ward so well. Cause remember going back to being so lonely, mm-hmm. I had developed relationships with every single person in the world. It's like, nobody's left behind for yes. all my friends. And I love all of you. And they would come to my house and some of them would come and they would just sit and talk to me. Some would come and they would play with Eli. Some would come and they would clean my house. They would just, they just did whatever their personality would do. And it was just perfect. And they just helped me get through those last three months so, like, I don't understand why people are like, you know, like with wards, you get kooky characters in wards, you know, you get people yeah. that can be really stupid things or whatever, but like, we're people, right? The wards are such a blessing. Like, we're there for each other because that was a time in my life when I was pretty helpless. Yes. And people were there to help me. But now I am in a position where I can help people. So yes. sometimes we just receive help, but then then later when it's my turn, I get to give help. So yeah. words are just the best thing ever. Church organization is the best thing ever. It is such a blessing because we are not meant to be alone. Yeah. 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 Well, two, two things you said stuck out to me. Number one, the people that showed up, I mean, first of all, we could talk about a million things of what you've yeah. been talking about, but the people that showed up, some talked, some cleaned, some brought meals, I'm sure. Yeah. But you, what you said is they helped however their personality, basically in whatever nature their personality was. Yeah. And that's so fantastic because sometimes we feel guilty that, oh, you know, sister so-and-so is such a great 
yeah. cook and I'm not. Uh, brother so-and-so is so good at working with his hand. I'm not. Whatever. You just do what the Lord has blessed you with. And you continue to try to improve. Yeah. But that's how you do it. It was so perfect because sometimes I didn't want people cleaning my house. Yes. Just talking to me was fine. But other people, I'm like, oh, she's not going to not clean my house. I'm not even going to try to stop her. She's going to clean my house. And that's fine. And it was yes. really helpful. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then I, I love your comment of just that we are not, we're not meant to be alone. No. We're here to mourn. We, we have covenanted to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. That's part of the promise yeah. that we made. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> too, right? I mean, like you can go to somebody and you can offer them service to help them heal. Like say if they're recovering from surgery or being pregnant with twins, you're helping them physically. However, I don't know, maybe I was providing service for somebody who needed to provide service so that yeah. they could be healed from emotional trauma or feeling depressed. And then you go and you help somebody and then you just feel better. Yes. It's healing. Yes. Yeah. It's Christ-like healing. You know, another thing that you brought up that I love is that a lot of times we get stuck in thinking that my current situation is going to be my situation for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's so easy to forget that there are different chapters in your life. And sometimes you are a receiver and sometimes you're a giver. Sometimes you're both at the same time. I mean, from one week to another. But um, it's just such a blessing to be able to to recognize that and see that, hey, right now I'm on the receiving end. I'm, I'm kind of a taker right now. But one I, day I will be a giver. I preach that all the time to people because I think it's a little bit of an annoyance for me people that are they're so helpful and they always seem to have everything so together and they are incapable of receiving service yeah i mean i i had an experience with that in reno that was really it was devastating for me that somebody absolutely she would not allow me to help her son with like a fundraiser thing it was i mean i needed it because i was yeah. so i was once again in a place where it was reno was really difficult the ward was very self-sufficient. I went from a ward in Las Vegas, the Sunset Ward in Las Vegas, and it was an amazing ward of people that could give service and receive service. I mean, those people were just amazing. And then I go to a ward where people, everybody, it's like a suburb of San Francisco. Nobody needs anything. You know, yeah. they hide everything out and I was not needed, but I was at a time in my life where I needed help. I needed friends. I needed somebody to talk to. I had nobody. And here I had an opportunity to serve somebody. And the mom literally came later and said, no, we're not, you cannot do this. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just like, but, um, I, it's funny because I, we were just reading this in the scriptures yesterday. Oh, it was the, cause whatever the come follow me was, it was hooked up to, uh, a book of Mormon verse. I don't remember what it was, but it says, are we not all beggars? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we as human beings have to learn that we have to accept yes. a gift, which is the greatest gift. We don't learn how to accept gifts like service and things from other people. How are we going to be able to accept the, accept the greatest gift that's just right there for us? You know, like, I mean, he said, I think it's Alma, maybe it's Alma. Are we not all beggars? Mm -hmm. It's like a great reminder. I am a beggar. I, I, I mean, in the end, 
I have nothing. I only have Christ. He has everything, you know, and yes. I'm just begging, please forgive me. Please help me like all the time. So it's good practice, right? When you're in a ward to be able to give service, but also to receive it. Yeah. You receive it. Such a fine balance to be able to achieve and to learn because on the one hand, uh, spiritual self-reliance, physical self-reliance, all that. And on the other hand, we're all beggars and being able to accept help graciously without yeah. having someone have to force us to receive it or to put yeah. them in an awkward situation. So such a tough balance, but such an essential one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. Wow. Uh, Kelly, I tell you, as we've been speaking, I've learned that you just don't focus on the negative. Like if you if you wanted to, you could completely focus on you've you've had some tough chapters in life. You've yeah. Had some tough spots, but you just choose not to focus on that. Is that fair to say? I, I think that's one thing that I've learned to I think a gift that I have is whatever if you have a bad interaction with somebody or like a bad relationship or something, or you feel victimized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that's been helpful for me is, yeah, those are feelings. Emotions are real. We all have emotions. They're a gift from God. Emotions are, but they don't last. And so once you have that emotion, you have that strong feeling. I'll tell this to my children. Like, okay, I understand you feel upset about this. Be upset. It's okay. You know, give yourself a day. I want you to give yourself one day. Be upset about this. But then you got to turn on your brain and be like, what is my culpability or how am I going to grow from this? Or what does God want me to learn from this? And how can I move on and become better? It just doesn't serve me to sit around and feel sorry for myself or make excuses for myself because I've had difficult things happen in my life. Everybody has difficult things. The whole point in this journey in life is that we become more like God. We, he wants us to become perfect. And the only way that we become perfect is we get tested and we, you know, have challenges placed before us. Yeah, you have emotions and things that are hard, but then you've got to engage your brain. You've got to start thinking it through. And I just, I think that that I've been able to do that. I mean, I have difficult things happen and you just, yeah, you're upset. And then, okay, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Right. I love that attitude. I need that attitude a lot more in my life. Right. Right. Um, wrapping up here. Yes. What, what do you tell yourself when you are two years into your Virginia experience? What does adult, what does today Kelly tell 10 year old Kelly in Virginia? Who's just struggling. North Carolina. Yeah, that's close. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? Virginia? Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. What- Tell myself my, that's a good question, but I've never been asked that. Um, What do I tell myself? You know, um, show just like I was, I think I was even telling my daughter to state, you just show up, you just keep working. I, I think the thing that I really learned in the last while, and, and I've quoted this many times, I tell this to people all the time. I quote this, I think it's Bill Gates who said this, is like most people underestimate, no, overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. Hmm. And 
I think that that, I mean, the Lord's time is not our time. And he is so patient. And I think that that's the thing I get. I do get the most frustrated about with myself is not being patient, which I know that they've, they've, they've talked about this in conference, you know, a bit. And I was like, oh, duh. It's like, I'm praying for patience, but I want it all at one time. Yes. Yes. So with that said, I think that I tell myself that you just keep working on the small victories and it really is true i know i i probably tell my kids this they probably want to throw up how much i tell them but (laughs) by small and simple things do great things come to pass and boy isn't that a true statement by small and simple things we just keep we do the little things we do the little things every day sometimes we're victorious sometimes we fail but we're not failures We just Mm -hmm. keep going and the Lord is going to lead us by the hand and he will take us where he needs us to be and give us the experiences that we need um, so we can be his instrument. And I really believe that that's true. And just having more trust and more, um, more faith in him and, and, and working on developing that by small and simple things. It's just the Sunday school answers. I'm afraid. (laughs) I love it. They're really powerful. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing your experience and your perspective with us. I mean, that's that's an amazing life experience that you've had. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you.